0: Well, good morning. My name is John Allen. Welcome to Risen Church. Um, I am excited to uh, dive into the Word this morning. We're going to be continuing in our series through the book of Psalms today. Uh, but we're, before we do, I want uh, a quick, a couple of things we have going on today and next week, next weekend. Um, today after the second service, so not the service, but after the second service, we're going to be having a baptism class at 1 p.m. downstairs. Uh, and so if you are interested in that, I want to encourage you, you're, you're welcome to join us. We'll probably be on the back porch downstairs. Um, and so, yes, we have a back porch. Isn't that cool? It, overlooks the water is great. So um, anyway, we're going to be down there, and we're just going to be talking about what baptism is, and uh, if you're interested in learning more about baptism, or even if you're interested in being baptiz- baptized, um, or if you're not quite sure, then, uh, and you're just interested in kind of figuring all those things out and talking through it, um, then I want to invite you to join us. Again, 1 p.m. today after the second service uh, downstairs. And then secondly, uh, next week, uh, so Friday, March 3rd, Uh, March 3rd and 4th, that's Friday and Saturday, is going to be what we call our Weekender event. The Weekender is basically an opportunity for you to connect with us as a church, for us to get to know you a little better, for you to get to know us a little better, to learn who we are and what our mission, vision, values are, to meet some of our leadership uh, in the church. And and we're going to have a meal together and we'll just get to know each other. So um, we do that on Friday uh, and Saturday morning. So Friday evening and then Saturday morning. So we share a meal together and just hang out. It's a great opportunity. We're going to be doing it at Hanger Law. So the rooftop of Hanger Law, they've been gracious enough to provide that venue for us. It's beautiful. We get to kind of, well, depending on the weather, you see the ocean. It's cool. So Again, if you are interested in uh, signing up for The Weekender, you can do so by uh, going to the QR code on your seat there. Uh, You just hover your phone over that, and you can sign up via the QR code, or just go to risenchurchvb.com, and you can sign up for The Weekender, and today is the last day to do that, so... Uh, We we got a plan for food and all that stuff, so uh, go ahead and sign up if you are interested in learning more about our church and what it means to join as a partner in Christ, uh, which is just our word for member. So, um, all right, so let's dive in here. Uh, We are, again, continuing in our series through the book of Psalms today, and our series is called Knowing and Enjoying God, and we have come to, this morning, uh, Psalm number 40, So Psalm 40 is where we're going to be, which is another psalm or song of David. Remember, the psalms are all songs. These are songs that David wrote. The the ones of David are the psalms that David wrote, uh, and in many ways, they mark the soundtrack of his life. I've told you before that uh, one of the most... helpful tips anyone ever gave me when I was trying to kind of get into reading the word was they said read the psalms listening to the gladiator soundtrack and it just came to life because it was written according to music. And so we don't have the original music that was written that Dave wrote, but we do have, you know, some instrum- instrumentals and I I love epics. Like I love like redemption epic movies. Anybody like that stuff? Like the Gladiator Braveheart stuff. That's showing my age. I'm going to show it a little more later. But um I love, I've always loved good soundtracks. Like when you hear the theme song also to a great movie, like these, these types of like redemption epics or something like that, it's, it's more than just something you hear, right? Like it's, it's, it's not just something that we hear, it's like a place that we go when you listen to it. Like it, when, when I say redemption epics, yes, I'm talking about the stories with happy endings, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about happy ending. And I realize that some critics would say that you know a movie doesn't have to have a happy ending to be a good movie, right? Um, they say things like you know well, life doesn't always have an a happy ending. That's sort of what they justify it, and then they force some depressing slog of a story on you that ends in darkness and leaves you feeling gross and hopeless. <sighs> you ever you ever watched a movie or show and you you end and you're like D- that's Seriously, that's it. Like, like they say, they'll say, well, that's true to life, right? That's, that's true to life. And, and that may be true for those who have embraced the darkness. But it's not true if you're a child of God. That is not true to life if you are in Christ. And here's what I mean by that. That doesn't mean that you're not going to experience pain and trial and struggle in this world. Not at all. But the greatest truth in the universe is that that's not the end. God does, in fact, win. In fact, he already has. And and for those who have received his victory in Christ, guess what? The best actually is yet to come. It doesn't mean, again, that you're not going to endure difficulty in the meantime. But it does mean that you can navigate that difficulty in faithful joy because of the promise you have and the ultimate victory declared over you in Christ. Because, guys, if the resurrection means anything, it means that God wins. And if God is for you, who can be against you? I mean, that's just reasonable, right? Now, in every great story, there's always a struggle. It's part of what makes a great story a great story, right? And some stories are going to end in the midst of that struggle. Sometimes we see stories or shows, you know, like, and, and they end. But in all great stories, you know that maybe the show stops for a moment, or it's the end of an episode, or you're halfway through a trilogy, but if it's a good story, you know it's not actually the end, it's to be continued, right? It just means another season or another movie is coming, right? It's not the end, it's simply to be continued, which doesn't leave you in despair, it leaves you in wonder and hope for how it's all gonna come together in the end. Like, like Lord of the Rings. I was in college when Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy came out or it was released in theaters um back when theaters were a thing where you actually went to the movies that was like a thing Um, and and after the second film the two towers so it was fellowship of the ring was the first one that came out and then it was two towers right and then return of the king and after two two towers man like people just were got they got sucked into the journey right i mean the first one was like oh this is this this movie's good and then second, after the, the second movie ended, I remember being in the theater, and the second movie, Two Towers, ends, and there was this thick expectation for the next movie. I mean, Return of the King was what everybody was like, I can't wait for that. Like, it, it ended, but it didn't end. It was like to be continued. It was just, it, it had already, I, I actually had already read the book um, at that point, and, and I basically knew the end from the beginning, but I still couldn't wait for the resolution. Like I could feel the tension, and, and Honest also Also, if you're not familiar with the third movie of that trilogy, that's why that movie's so long. The third movie's so long. Have you ever you, anybody seen the third movie, Return of the King, Lord of the Rings? If you haven't, you should. It's great. But it ends like ten times at the end. It's like it fades to black, and then it's like, and more resolution, and more resolution. And we're going to, remember this story, this little loose end over here? Nope, not done yet. We're going to wrap that one up too, right? And then there's like the extended edition, you know? There's like all of these different things. And I think that's very important. They didn't shortcut anything. They tied up all the loose ends because they made sure to keep, make it clear, just as J.R. Tolkien did, that it evil is in fact undone that's intentional you see those are the ingredients to a masterpiece because that's the heart of the master author and i'm not talking about the author of the lord of the rings i'm talking about the author of all creation like when a story ends without resolution it kind of feels meaningless right like you question whether the the people the writers know what they're doing you know anybody remember lost I was like, I just wasted all of my life on this thing that you just, did you even know what you were doing? When you They didn't know the ending from the beginning at all. Like, they just kind of, sorry, I'm venting now. (laughs) But there's a deep awareness in the human soul that longs for resolution. Like, we didn't just make all this up. Like, it's written on our DNA by our creator. God himself desires and demands resolution. It's part of his justice. And he promises to bring to fruition all of it on the day of judgment. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we find ourselves walking through multiple seasons of difficulty. Like like scenes or episodes of life where wickedness prevails and righteousness even suffers. And the righteous suffer. At the end of the second Lord of the Rings film, Two Towers, you got two small hobbits, Samwise, Gamgee, and Frodo Baggins. And they're in this desperate situation. They've they've faced evil and death, and everything in front of them seems to be filled with only darkness. They're being led into the darkness by a wicked creature, Gollum, who's plotting to kill them. And Frodo is at the end of his rope, and, and his friend Samwise says this. This is how the second film closes. He says this. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't know what to, or sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. It's only a passing thing, Miss Shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those are the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. Guys, this life is full of these kinds of episodes. But the scriptures, they don't ignore these bleak scenes and seasons of life. In fact, they engage them head on, especially in the Psalms. And as they engage in the darkness, they help us tune into the greater soundtrack and even the main theme song of that new day that the Lord is singing over you in Christ even now. The question is, will you receive it? Will you sing along? For the most part, each psalm, which each psalm is a song in itself, they tend to end on positive notes of praise. If you've read through the psalms, you know this. They they may begin in difficulty, but they often develop into praise by the end. But not always. There are a few unpopular psalms that can even be a little bit confusing because they end on a note of deep sorrow. The author puts his pen down without resolution. He comes to the Lord. He pours out. He cries out. He prays. And he's like, ah. puts the pen down. He steps away. But the truth is they don't ever really end there. They're simply to be continued. It's why when you go to the last psalm, Psalm 150, It's nothing but praise. It's nothing but praise. So this morning we're looking at Psalm 40, which does actually end on a powerful note of hope and dependence upon the Lord, but its context within the Psalter is significant because it's very different from the psalm right in front of it, which is Psalm 39. Now, both of these psalms are psalms of David, but if Psalm 40 was like Amazing Grace... Right? Then Psalm 39 would be more like the theme song to Jaws. Right? Like, nah. Right? Like one is a song of destruction, and the other is a song of deliverance and salvation. But Psalm 40 shines out the clearer, particularly in light of Psalm 39. See, Psalm 39 is an important part of the process, but if you make Psalm 39 your address. Or if you make that your theme song, it's, it's going to be like walking out of the movie before it's over and thinking that's the resolution or that's it. So I want to walk through Psalm 40 together as King David reflects upon his past and also then looks forward to his future. And that's easier said than done. Like that's actually a lot easier said than done, especially if your past is filled with trauma and tragedy. Like, past experience, after all, is the best determination for a future expectation, right? Like, we learn that in this life. And so even if your past is filled with victory and triumph, trauma and tragedy, if you've ever experienced that, which in this life you will, they tend to play their songs louder in our minds in this world. They tend to try and drown out the victory and the joy. So what hope is there for the broken? What hope is there for those who get that song of destruction stuck in their head and their heart? Because they're a new theme song for you? Or or maybe even a new soundtrack entirely? And if so, how do you receive it? So here's what I want you to get this morning. If you get nothing else, this is what I want you to get. Jesus has a new song for you. Jesus has a new song for you, and the song he sings over you is the only one worthy to be the theme song of your life. Jesus has a new song for you, and the song he sings over you is the only one worthy to be the theme song of your life. So let's walk through Psalm 40 together, and as we do, I'm going to point out three ways to tune in and receive the song God is singing over you in Christ, okay? So the first way, number one, is pay attention. The second way, sing along. And then the third way is put it on repeat and turn it up, all right? So my prayer is that you would get the song of Jesus, the song of the gospel, the song of redemption, the song of grace stuck in your head and heart, written on your heart even this morning, and it would be the soundtrack that informs every moment of your life from this day forward. And if it's already been the soundtrack and theme song of your life, then turn it up. Okay? So let's dive in. Psalm 40, verse 1. Here we go. Psalm 40, verse 1. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. So the first way you tune in and receive the song God's singing over you in Christ is to pay attention. In verse 1, David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, in English, the word patiently here, it doesn't actually capture the Hebrew phrase here very well. It's not wrong, it's good, but when when the Hebrew repeats a word in Hebrew, when it says something twice, it it, will repeat it to add intensity to its meaning. And the original Hebrew is literally here, not I waited patiently for the Lord, but I I waited, waited for the Lord. It just repeats it twice. I waited, waited. And and, and so patiently is not wrong, but can you see that it doesn't fully capture it? For for us, it would be more like if the word was in all caps, it was bold and and highlighted. Waited. Like I, I, like, no, 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 no. Like you may have waited for the Lord. I waited for the Lord. And so we tend to think of patiently waiting, though, as something you do in a comfortable waiting room, maybe some nice elevator music's playing, you know, you got a magazine, your feet are propped up, maybe you're just kind of disengaged, and when they call you, you're like, oh, wait, you're kind of like you fell asleep, and you're just like, oh, oh, it's my turn, it's my time, like, oh, God's here, okay, right? That is not what's being articulated here. Like that, this would be the complete opposite of that. It's still patient, yes, but because it's patient in the sense that you're not turning to anything else. You're not leaving the waiting room because the only hope you have is in the Lord. That's what's going on here, but it is intensely engaged, prayerful, edge of your seat, vigilant kind of waiting, and that's often what the Bible means when it speaks of waiting on the Lord. The last couple of chapters in the Psalms give us some insight into what David actually means when he's talking about waiting on the Lord. I want you to listen to these cries for deliverance. Listen to the past couple of Psalms. Psalm 38, verse 5 through 10. Listen to this. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. It's almost like he can experience what Jesus has felt on the cross. Or, I should say, Jesus felt on the cross. Our waiting rooms. Verse 8, I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult tumult, (laughs) of my heart. Which is like turmoil. Oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. In the light and the light of my eyes, it has also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. I'm alone. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. Just, that's Psalm 38. Just listen to the last two verses of Psalm 39. The last two verses. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest. Like all my fathers, last verse, look away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Like, that's how David ends Psalm 39, because enough to make you wonder why God would even allow that psalm in the Bible. Like, I mean, David tells God to look away from him, that he may smile again before he dies? Like, is that how we should end our prayers? Like, look away from me, God, so I can pretend that things are okay, that my sin doesn't matter, that I should just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we all just die. I might as well live it up now and pretend this doesn't matter. Is that, is that the prescription we're given here? Is that the song we should sing? No. No, it is not why is it in the Bible? Derek Kidner, theologian, put it like this. He captures Psalm 39 so well. He says this, the very presence of such prayers is a witness to God's understanding. He knows how we speak when we are desperate. Guys, you get this? It's gonna ramp up the intensity of your intimacy with him that he is a safe place guys this isn't a prescription for what to pray this is a description for how safe and good our lord is like when we cry out to him in desperation he understands it he understands even the language Psalm 39 is a demonstration not of what the perfect prayer looks like, but of how patient and safe our Lord is when we cry out to Him and sow our sorrows and even plant our tears in prayer. Raw, unrefined, unfiltered, unprocessed prayer from the depths of our souls. Bring it to the Lord. The psalm reminds us here that even when we walk away from prayer not fully trusting in the Lord that he's still trustworthy. Even though that peace hasn't broken through the hardness of our hearts, it doesn't mean he's not breaking through. Sometimes you pray something and you're like, but I still have this issue. I still have this anxiety. I still haven't fully trusted in you, Lord. I want to. I want to trust you. I want to even want to trust you. But I'm having a tough time and I'm tired and the pen is down and I'm stepping away. This psalm reminds us that you might step away. He doesn't. Even when it seems we're stuck in that old psalm does not mean the new song is no longer available they like, praise god for psalm 39 praise god that david's able david is able to look back and reflect on the miry pit that he was in so he can appreciate the firm rock of salvation he now stands upon In church who is the rock of our salvation it's jesus it's jesus I waited, like, no, no, I I like waited upon the Lord. And Psalm 40, he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Christ alone is our cornerstone. Notice God didn't just pass David by. He stopped and he turned and he fixed his gaze upon him. Get the imagery. Get the imagery. He doesn't just pass him by in the pit. He stops and he turns and he meets him in it. Like, like a, and this isn't just a pit, okay? I want you to follow this because sometimes we can read right over these things. Like a pit, you might actually be able to get yourself out of right? If you're in a pit, like remember the movie, uh, the, the third movie, like I'm, I'm, I'm on I'm like a trilogy, epic trilogy journey here. The third movie in the Dark Knight trilogy, remember that one? The Dark Knight Rises, right? I so said Bruce Wayne, aka Batman, spoiler alert, Bruce Wayne, he is Batman. <coughs> Bruce, Wayne. Bruce Wayne is Batman. And, and he gets his back broken by the villain Bane, right? And he's left to rot in a pit with a bunch of other prisoners, the only way out, though, is to climb out of this pit. Legend has it that a child once did it, but nobody's done it since. And so the whole thing is, over and over again, he tries to get healthy, pull himself up by his bootstraps, and climb out of this pit. But every time he gets to the final leap, he just can't make it, and he falls, and then his safety rope is, is holding him back. That's kind of what's going on in the, in the thing here. And so finally, he makes the climb with no safety rope, and, and so then when it comes time to make that final leap, it's either do or die, literally, literally. And, of course, then he makes it, you know, and they're all chanting, and it's like, yay, and it's, you know. A lot of people think that's what faith is about. A lot of people think that's what faith is. You know, faith is a blind leap, that kind of thing, right? They think it's about mustering up enough courage, strength, and willpower to face your fear and make that blind leap to get yourself out of the pit. And while that is a great illustration for dry, self-righteous religion, It's not a good illustration for the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. Because the pit of destruction that all humanity finds ourselves in, it's not just a pit, it's a miry bog. And the more you struggle in the muck and mire, the more the walls cave in on you and suffocate you in your own sin and pride and shame. The harder you try, the deeper you sink. Also, the flood is coming. The tide is rising. The waters of judgment are headed your way, and there's no escape. Because you can't get yourself out. This is the human condition, period. It's the most desperate waiting room imaginable. And again, he's waiting. He is, this is why he is waiting on the Lord. The emphasis is that he's realized the only one who can get him out is God. His faith is not in himself, it's in the Lord alone. His desperate circumstances taught him that salvation is in the Lord only and that that's where all of his faith is placed. And he inclined his ear, he heard his cry, he drew him up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set his feet upon a rock making his steps secure guys you know your steps are secure when you realize you didn't put yourself on that rock when you realize you didn't get yourself here that's when you know you can trust that that thing's firm and what happens next verse three he put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our god now now this concept of singing a new song unto the lord is all over the bible guys It doesn't just mean somebody put a new tune together with some new lyrics. It can mean that. In some ways, it does mean that. And I think it's good to write new songs and sing new songs and all that stuff. But what's actually, some of the heart behind what it's talking about, when it talks about a new song, singing a new song, God putting a new song in my mouth, it's talking about a new and fresh expression of the heart. Like sometimes you'll sing a song on the way to church, right? I hope you do. I hope you singing a song on the way to church and then, and then God does something in your life and, and, and maybe something dynamic happens and you sing it on the way home as if it is a totally new song. You ever experienced something like that? You experience a, a, some form of deeper deliverance and then you sing the same songs in a different kind of way. It's like almost a new song. And often when the people of God in the Old Testament would sing a new song, it was in the context of a new victory that God had given them. Like they would gather together and sing a song of praise to God for who he is and what he has done. It's like a victory chant. And David then here is declaring victory through a new song. A song that God himself has not only won for David, but a song God has put in the mouth of David. And it's a new song. It's a song of worship. This is not just a mental assent to a set of religious claims. This is coming from the depths of his soul. It's heartfelt because David's been paying attention. He knows the desperate situation he's in. He recognizes that the only way he's now on the rock is because of the Lord. So now he sings. Guys, you know also that when you sing, when you worship God, it's evangelistic. you know that? When you sing and when you worship the Lord... It's evangelistic. Seriously, like the way you worship is a witness to what you actually believe and what God has actually done in your life, or if you're even paying attention to what God's done in your life. So many people join us here on Sunday mornings, and and, and they're far from God. They have no real concept that grace and relationship with God is even available, much less necessary and for so many people, they're living condemned to hell in their sin because they think that it's all just religious rules or principles and they're climbing and clawing in the muck and mire. And then they, or, or, or they're, they're thinking they, they don't even know. They're just trying to achieve and be better and be good enough. Or they just succumb to the fact that they're not and living on that pride-shame thing. And, and the God thing is just another way to, get, to make themselves feel better. And the way we worship is often our greatest witness to the worth and value of the one who has set you free. The one you know and behold in an intimate way that he's real. That's only possible because of what he's done for us in Christ. So listen to me. I I don't say this to make you feel self-conscious about the way you sing and worship. I'm telling you, this is just more reason to give it a full sin to the throne of grace when we sing. Because it's not about you. That's the point. It's always been about him. It's always been about Because when we sing, we testify to what we actually believe. This is actually a huge part of how I came to Christ. Like, my entire life, I never believed that anyone I grew up growing to church with actually believed what they were singing or saying. Because <laughs> they were just like, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. And I was just kind of like, like, when you take the robes off, or you, do you actually believe this? Now, some of them may have, and that may have just been my own teenage cynicism, right? But I know that often in my own heart, in my own life, it's not, it didn't connect. It was when I experienced people who worshipped God as if he was real and talked to him as if he was in the room and as if he had actually saved them, the people who had understood that they were in a miry bog, that they were blind, but now they see, and now they're on the rock of salvation. Like That is the recognition and realization that opens the eyes of people around them to realize this is actually available to me also. Like, I remember not being sure what I believed, but there was no question about whether or not they believed it. I didn't question whether they believed it. I questioned whether I believed it, but that's what a witness does, right? It wasn't just emotionalism. It was authentic. I'm not saying we run around and shout and go crazy, right? We do things in decency and in order, but did you know that the word hallelujah means to jump and shout and praise the Lord? Like, like, I wasn't sure what I believed, again, but they did, and it testified something to me, something I had not even considered. God is real. He is Lord, and he is Savior. Like, I was dead in my sin, but true life and salvation was available, and so I wanted to know what they knew, and that's when they introduced me to Jesus. Psalm 22, verse 3 even tells us that God is enthroned and even inhabits the praises of his people. Guys, when we're praising the Lord, it's important to understand that you're not the audience. God is. Like, you need to get this, man. Our culture is such an event-oriented culture. Like, Like, you guys understand, praise God for our band up here, but they're not performing for you. They're directing and leading us in worship of him. God is the audience. We're all just a choir singing to the God we love and trust. And can I say, you guys sounded pretty good this morning. You did. I was, I was like, God, God loves it. I, I was sitting there literally just praising God and thinking, God, you love you He's smiling on you. Like, what a sweet aroma to him when, we, when, when his people sing to him and pray to him. Verse 3, again. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the lord his trust who does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after a lie again the only way out of the pit is faith in him not in yourself not in your friends not in your parents not in your job or that thing that you think that if you can just get it or acquire it or achieve it then things will be okay no that's a lie it's just muck and mire When you pay attention, you realize he's the only way, he's the only truth, and he's the only life. When you sing, does it declare that reality? When you sing, does it ring with what you've tasted and seen? Do you sing as one who's been plucked from the miry pit? Do you believe it? Psalm 98 verse 1 through 4 says this. It actually commands God's people to sing like this. Verse 1, O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Psalm 40. Back to Psalm 40, verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us, none can compare with you. Does that resonate with you? Like, does David's prayer here, does that, of, of, your, your, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us, they've been multiplied. None can compare with you. Like, I want you to see David is paying attention to the hand of God in his life. Part of God putting a new song in David is through David recounting all the multiplied, wondrous deeds and thoughts the Lord has toward him. Like, there are a few things the Bible tells us to count. Like, we're told to count our days. We're we're told to count the cost of following Jesus as his disciple. And we're told to count the many ways God has blessed us, to count our blessings. And this week I just turned 40 years old you and i have found myself counting my days (laughs) So what you do when you turn 40 right and as i count my days like sometimes i think sometimes people they they, might sometimes you think like 40 really i'm 40 but i gotta tell you like when i count my days i'm like nope that makes sense 40 makes sense (laughs) 40 makes a lot of sense Right, like, like 25, that wouldn't make sense. Nope, 25, doesn't make sense. 40, that makes sense. Right? And, and over the past few years, like, I've become acquainted with counting the cost of discipleship. Like, there's a very real cost, and it's important to count it, because there's no half measures in following Jesus. There just aren't. Like, he's either Lord of all or Lord not at all. He's both Lord and Savior, but if he's not your Lord, then he's not your Savior. Praise God, he's both, right? And as I've counted my days, man, and as I've counted the cost, I've come to the conclusion a long time ago, he's totally worth it. Totally worth it. And so as I turned 40 years old this week and prepared to preach on Psalm 40, (laughs) which I did not uh, intentionally do, this verse actually reminded me of how important it is to count your blessings. It's a major part of paying attention to the song God's singing over your life in Christ. And so I took a little inventory this week of the ways God has blessed me. And, and I made a gratitude list, one for every year of life, 40 of them. I was going to read them to you, but my wife was like, we'll be here all day. You need to... <laughs> she topped the list, by the way, right behind Jesus and salvation. <laughs> again accounting your blessings it's not just about the things and the stuff that god blesses you with it's about the ways he's blessed you the ways that god has blessed me like i'm thankful for my wife and i'm thankful for my children and i'm thankful for this church but you know what i'm thankful for even more the way god blessed me with them the way it came about i'm thankful for the struggle. I'm thankful that I had to lean on the Lord when I was lonely. And I was like, God, I want a wife. And he was like, not yet. (laughs) Trust me. And don't don't try and get yourself out of this. Not her, right? (laughs) Wait on the Lord. Thankful for what He's done in my life and has blessed. That was a blessing. Didn't feel like it at the time. That was a blessing. So if you haven't done this exercise, I encourage you to do it. Would you take the time this week to write out a gratitude list to God? One for however old you are. One for every year. The many ways that you have seen the Lord bless you. One for each year. Some lists are going to be longer than others. (laughs) Gratitude tunes our heart to sing his grace it focuses our attention on the new song he has for you it, it, it doesn't have to be your birthday right and so for the first way to receive the first way to receive God's singing over you in Christ is to pay attention and then the second way is to sing along like the old hymn says come thou fount of every blessing tune my heart to sing thy grace God doesn't want you to just receive His grace. He wants you to sing it. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Amen? Teach me, says the hymn. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Let me tap into the heavenly song. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Psalm 40, verse 6, in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. What does that mean? The original Hebrew here literally says, you bore a hole in my head. That's what it says. You've given me an open ear. It, the imagery in the Hebrew is that God like, took a drill and bore a hole in your stubborn, deaf head to open your ears. Yeah, I, that resonates with this guy. Like the idea is that David had no ears to hear. All he was doing was going through these religious motions, but he had not ears to hear what the Spirit of God was actually saying to him. He couldn't hear the new song. It was distant. It was just visual and external. But God bore holes in his head to open his ears. He that has ears, let him hear. And the song of the Lord gets inside him, and he realizes that God's after so much more than just going through the motions. Psalm Psalm 40, verse 6 again. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight, say delight, to do your will. Oh my God. Your law is within my heart. The New Testament book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 10, verse 5 through 7, directly applies this passage to Jesus. In other words, the sacrifice in itself is worthless. The religious motion that they were going through, it was worthless in and of itself, other than how it pointed to what Jesus would do for them. The action was only an action. The significance of all their ceremony was only effective insofar as it pointed them by faith towards what Jesus would ultimately do for them. In other words, Christ's sacrifice is the only true and effective means of deliverance. Everything else is just a miry pit trying to get out on your own. This is the good news of the gospel that God became a man and he lived the life we couldn't live and he died the death we deserve to die And he conquered death in the grave and he paved the way through the resurrection to eternal life with God Almighty. And that's an eternal life that doesn't start just one day when we die. It starts the moment we place our faith and our hope in what Christ has done for us to get us out of the miry pit and stand firm upon the rock of our salvation. That's what we have in Christ. And he fills us from the inside out with his spirit and he changes us and he gives us a new heart a heart that loves the things he loves because it loves him. And we love him because he first loved us and gave his life for us. This is the gospel. It's always been about a new heart, which is what, that's what we have in Christ. It's like he's bored all whole in our thick, stubborn skulls and implanted a new song of praise in our hearts. And now we're we're called and we're empowered by his spirit to sing along again from the heart. Jesus often spoke to mixed crowds filled with believers and unbelievers and those who had the appearance of godliness, but had denied its power by leaning on empty religion. And he would sing the song of the gospel over them. He would preach the gospel. He would demonstrate the kingdom. And then then he would say things like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. In other words, do you hear what I hear? You see what I see? But can you hear it? And if you can, would you sing along? Verse 9. Psalm 40, verse 9. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and faithfulness from the great congregation. And as the Church of the New Covenant, guys, hear this. We've been given our great commission to go and make disciples of the nation's. This good news of deliverance is not to be limited to this congregation of believers, it's to be sung far and wide. And unrestrained. But if you're restrained in your praise here, you're going to be restrained in your praise out there. Like if it's wooden and mechanical in here, then you're going to be talking to people and trying to think of the theologically doctrinally sound ways in which to present Jesus instead of just sing. Your savior over the lost. So pay attention to what He's done and sing along to the song He's singing over you. And then finally, the third way we receive the song of God is sing that He's singing over us in Christ is by putting it on repeat and turning it up. And yes, the southerner in me here's Leonard Skinner there. Verse eleven. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Now there's a shift here in verse 11. He shifts from reflecting on the past to now looking towards the future. And his prayer here is the same prayer that we talked about back in Psalm 16. Preserve me in your steadfast love and faithfulness. Like he's not naive to the world that he lives in. And he knows difficult times still lay ahead. Verse 12, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. And so he's not just talking about external difficulties here. He's talking about his own sin. He's not claiming to be an innocent bystander in a world full of chaos. He's admitting his own iniquity here, okay? He's, into, he's, not, he's not a victim. He's, he's saying, like, I am responsible for this. He's intimately aware of his own sinfulness and his own failure, and he doesn't shy away from it here. He 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 even recognizes that it it that the thought of it makes his heart fail. Like the thought of his own sinfulness seems to threaten the rock solid foundation, and and he's fearing slipping again into the miry pit. And, And the noise of that fear and that trauma and that past difficulty is starting to interject on his present praise party. You ever been there? If you haven't, you probably will. This is why this psalm is written. is to prepare you for these things. Verse 13, he prays, Be pleased, O Lord, as he looks towards the future, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Guys, you should never delight in anyone's hurt, especially if they're a Christian, especially if they're a believer. I don't care if you disagree with something about them. Don't ever delight in their pain. Or you might find yourself on the other side of this prayer. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha, trying to to get them. Don't do that. Not to a brother or a sister. Okay? Okay? Like, you ever been around someone that's just waiting for you to slip up, just waiting to trap you? Like, like sometimes, that, that, that's, hear this, sometimes, oftentimes, that's all just in your head. Oftentimes, that's the trauma of past experiences, and that's not really what's happening. Okay? Sometimes it's just your fear creating issues that aren't even there, and it's your own sin that's causing the problem, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes the suspicion is real, and sometimes it's both (laughs) like in this case sometimes it's both his own sinfulness and his situation and the people he's around but either way listen to me guys the answer's the same the answer's still the same trust in the lord not in yourself that's it see see, david is neither a stiff-necked person too proud to admit his failure nor is he naive enough to believe that he doesn't in fact face a very real enemy And so he cries out unto the Lord to rescue him both from himself and from his enemies. And as he does, he begins to tune back into his new song. And then in verse 16, he turns it up and he puts it on repeat. Look at this. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. Guys, it's so good. It's so good. But but hear this. The Psalm's not finished. Like hear now how David ends Psalm 40 with verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. Ha <laughs> ha That's a big butt. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Remember in Psalm 39, he couldn't handle his own insufficiency, and he told the Lord to turn away. But here, David embraces his own insufficiency and his neediness. And as he does, he embraces the Lord's care for him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me until you come to grips with your own wretchedness you will not come to grips with the sweetness of his grace i once was lost but now i'm found was blind but now i see i don't see how awesome i am i see how awesome you are this is what it looks like to receive the song god's singing over you in christ it requires that you quit trying to dig your own way out of the pit and trust in christ and christ alone that you come to grips with your own inability and your need. And this isn't just for new believers. This is what continual life in Christ looks like. Like, listen to me, the closer you get to Jesus, the more aware of your sin you're going to become. And the more aware of your sin you are, the more aware you are of your need for him. Like, that's not because you're getting worse, it's because you're getting better. (laughs) But better doesn't mean prouder, it means more reliant, more needy, more aware of his goodness and all-sufficient grace like if you think you didn't fall short in some way today you're not paying attention (laughs) right and if you think his grace isn't fully sufficient to cover it then you're not paying attention and if you don't care about your sin or about his grace then you're not going to sing along with the new song he's given you but when you recognize it and you join in it changes everything so what's the theme song of your life Is it a song of destruction or salvation? Is it a miry pit or a rock-solid foundation in Christ? How will you sing out to the Lord this week? Maybe you're in a waiting season. Maybe you're in a mourning season. Maybe you're in an emotionally challenging season or a lonely season. Are you singing the song of the Lord? If you are, keep singing. And sing loud so all can hear and don't stop. you need it we all need it as we run this race together and if you're not singing will you ask the lord to help you sing to open your ears to bore holes in your skull and put that new song in you it's a good prayer will you sing along to the theme song that jesus has won for you at the cross it's the song of hope it's the song of faithfulness unrelenting love And it chases us down, even in our sin. Like, no sin is too big to bring to him. He's calling you to come. Will you receive the Lord and his love? Let's pray.